Man, it's good to be here this morning. Um, I got to let you know it was an exciting week this week because Wednesday night we did Bible class. Amen? Okay, the amen should have permeated. Amen? It's been a year, man. A whole year. I was so excited about it. I was just so excited. And I'm so excited this coming next Sunday, next Sunday, March 7th, we start our Sunday morning Bible classes. Hey, Now's the time. I mean, let's kick in. Let's get going. And uh, we'll see you here Wednesday night and Sunday. Um, I don't know um, what kind of family that you were raised in. Maybe you were raised in one of those families. And maybe you were actually one of those kids who was the favorite. All right? The favorite. Some of you are like nodding your head already. You're the favorite. I, I want to let you know that if you're the only child, congratulations, you win. All right? You're it. You're always going to be it. You're going to be the favorite forever and ever, all men. All right? It's going to be you. Okay, now, if you're the oldest and you're the youngest, you really have a great shot at being the favorite. But if you're the middle child... You know where I'm going with this, right? If you're the middle child, the odds of you being the favorite are astronomical. <laughs> I'm just telling you, they're astronomical. And, and I'm really sorry about that, but that's just the truth. Now, I'm messing with you. You, guys, you middle kids already have complexes anyway. I'm not going to mess with you anymore, all right? Here's what comes with being the favorite. It's this word entitlement. It's this feeling of entitlement. And if you look up the word, it says something like this. The definition of entitlement is something like the belief that one is inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. And today, we're going to talk about Joseph. Joseph was the favorite. Joseph was entitled. And he wore this really bright neon sign in the form of a multicolored coat that said, I'm daddy's favorite. And, and he just, he didn't really help himself because he kept on wearing the coat. And every time he wore the coat, here's what was communicated over and over again. I am entitled. Now, there's another thing that contributed to Joseph's entitlement. Him being the favorite was his dreams. He, you know, as you know, he had a couple of dreams. If you want to, turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to be in that story, Genesis chapter 37. But he had a couple of dreams, and each of those dreams, here's what it said. Family, someday you're going to bow down in front of me. It really endears yourself to your family members, right? When all of a sudden you say to them, I want to let you know that someday you're going to bow down to me. And I, we're not real sure who gave him the dreams. Maybe God did. I know that those dreams eventually come true. But here's the point about Joseph. The point about Joseph is what it led him to being the favorite and being the entitled one. It led him to this blindness and arrogance. It led him to this blindness and arrogance. And, and this arrogance is going to lead him... On a, it's not, it shouldn't be 13, it should be 13 year journey, not 17. Excuse me, math was always a struggle for me. Uh, but it's 13 year journey. 
And in this 13-year journey, God's going to take him from this pride and arrogant young man to this humble servant who literally saves the nation of Israel. We're going to conclude our common series today, and you might be thinking, hey, it's pretty cool we're going to talk about Joseph. And it is cool we're going to talk about Joseph because he's one of the major characters in the Old Testament. But we're also going to deal with this subject of entitlement. Entitlement. And that's where it gets what I would say a little sticky. You see, there's this insidious nature to entitlement. And and entitlement, it really is this really, really sticky issue. And, And if I were a smart man, I would walk away from this, all right? But I want to let you know that Joseph and the Common Series won't allow us, even though my grandmother did tell me that I had a strong back and a weak mind, we're still going to deal with this. And here's why it's important for us to deal with this element of entitlement. And it's been sort of the theme as we ran through all of this. It's it's this. It's a common struggle for every one of us. It's a common struggle for every one of us. This spirit of entitlement. And, 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 And even though we don't necessarily walk around and in colored clothes, or the world's not necessarily going to bow down on our feet, and they won't. But we still deal with the toxic nature of entitlement. Joseph struggled with entitlement. He did. Now, he didn't get there by himself. Look in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 3. Genesis 37, 3. In Genesis 37, 3, Joseph had help getting to the point of being the favorite one and entitlement. It says that his father Israel, or Jacob, loved him more than the other kids. Now, we're not real sure why Jacob loved Joseph more. I really believe that Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel, and Jacob always loved Rachel more. He always loved Rachel more, more than the rest of his wives. And I think that's why Joseph was the favorite He was the entitled one. But I wanted you to know, because he was entitled, it led to a blindness in him. And as we look at the life of Joseph, we see this this blindness that comes from entitlement. It starts off like this, and the story goes like this. He brought back a really bad report about his brothers while they were tending the flock. And then in Genesis chapter 37 and look verse 4, if you'll look at 4 or 5 right around in there, here's what happens. Joseph, I mean, Jacob just comes straight out and he just says, I love Joseph more. Great for family relationships. I just love Joseph more. And when the brothers found out about this, it says this about him. The brothers hated him. And would not speak kindly to him. And you would think, Joseph being a smart man, he would sort of tread lightly about around his brothers. But he just seems oblivious. He seems blind to the whole situation. And he contributes to this blindness by telling his brothers that they're going to, there's going to be these sheaves of grain. And Joseph is going to rise up and all the sheaves, them, they're going to bow down to Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5, it says this, And they hated Joseph. They hated him. 
Another dream, the sun, the moon, the stars bow down to Joseph and his brothers again hate him even more. This hatred, the cruel words, the jealousy should have been a clue to Joseph. It should have cued him in on the relationships like, hey, these relationships aren't going really well. But here's the thing, entitlement blinded him from this. Entitlement also made him very, very arrogant. You know the dream I just referred to when it talked about the sun and the moon and the stars? Well, the implication of that dream was that even his father, uh, Jacob, was going to bow down to him. And Joseph, being this really humble dude that he was, right, went and told his dad, Hey, Dad, guess what? I had this really cool dream, and you're going to bow down to me someday. And I want to let you know, and we, we think that, and we just, sort of, we just sort of pass that by like, well, that's just youthful talk. I am going to let you know, that was egregious back then. That was a horrible thing to do. It, culture back then, and it really unchanged, it, culture back then, especially in a patriarchal society, that was quite offensive for a son to come in to the father and say, I want to let you know someday you're going to be bowing down to me. Literally, what, was, what was really needed to happen was this. The sons bow down to the father. But here's what it shows us. It shows us that his arrogance that led to this grievous action. And so for us, we struggle with entitlement. We struggle with entitlement. And, and I want to be real balanced here. Because usually sometimes when we start talking about entitlement, we come in here and we start really beating ourselves up about what I would consider just being blessed. And I want to let you know there is a big difference between being blessed and feeling entitlement. Entitlement. Here's here's what I want to say to you. It is wrong. It is not wrong to be blessed. It is wrong to feel entitled. And there's a huge difference there. I mean, I am so grateful for what we have and where we are and what we're doing. And we need to feel blessed all the time. We do need to feel blessed. But there's a difference between being blessed, and that's right, but it's wrong to feel entitlement. Let me tell you a couple other things about entitlement. There's this other aspect of entitlement that I believe it's really important for us to think about. Entitlement is not about our possessions or our achievements or our status. It has nothing, it has nothing to do with that. Now let me, you're going, well, yes it does. No, it doesn't. Think about it this way. Joseph... Joseph got to be the second in command of all of Egypt. He was royalty. He had money. He had status. And yet, he was a humble, God-fearing man who did God's work and will at a time to save the nation of Israel. Now, i got to let you know, possessions and achievement and status can contribute to entitlement. But let me just say this. Entitlement is an attitude. Entitlement is a spirit. Entitlement is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And i got to let you know, it shows up us in, up 
in us in various ways. There are some statements that I believe either verbally said or non-verbally felt that cue us into our struggle with entitlement. The first one goes something like this. You owe me. You owe me. You owe me. And the person struggling with this point of entitlement always has a ledger. There's always a ledger. I'm not talking about a physical one. I'm talking about a mental ledger. And it goes something like this. You don't know how much I have done for this church. You don't know how much I've done for this church. And guess what? I have been a part of this church for, and you fill in the number of years. And, and the person struggling, and then when we struggle with this, you owe me, we walk around with this ledger, and anytime something doesn't go our way, or the way we want it to go, we pull out the ledger and we go, you owe me. How about this one? Ah, one of my favorites. Not really. Entitlement says this. You better do it my way. And if you don't do it my way, then usually it is this. I am out of here. I'm out of here. I am out of here. See, this point of entitlement always has a threat with it. There's always some sort of threat. Listen, if you don't do things my way, I just got to let you know I'm just going to be out of here. I'm leaving. And sometimes we may stay, but our hearts say this. You better do things my way, else I'm going to withhold my time. I'm going to withhold my resources. I'm going to withhold my energy. And I'm going to withhold my love until you do what I say I want you to do. It exposes. It's always threat-oriented. It's always threat. And, and people could smile at you and threaten you. Yeah, I really, I really love you, but I think I'm going to be out of here. Entitlement. Entitlement also says this. You know, you know I'm really smarter or better than you. You know it, right? I mean, you just know that I'm smarter or better than you. Now, it may not ever be said, but let me, let me cue you in on how this comes across. When we struggle with this aspect of entitlement, when we struggle with this aspect of entitlement, it is almost impossible for this type of entitlement to ever receive correction. Ever receive correction. And here's the reason why. Deep within their heart, Deep within their heart, here's what they believe. I am smarter than you, and I am better than you. And then one of the last ones is this. Entitlement says this. You know, you know I'm in a position of power. You know I'm in a position of power. And I want to let you know, sooner or later, 
you're going to do what I say. Now, this one doesn't come out. It's usually in, in leadership positions. It doesn't really come out all at once. But here's what usually happens with this one, this entitlement spirit. The entitlement spirit goes something like this. It's okay until they're questioned. It's okay until the power is threatened. And then sometimes subtly, and then sometimes not so subtly, the card is pulled and it says this, I am in control and you will do what I say. In all of these, in all these examples of entitlement, it ends in the same place, blindness and arrogance. Blindness and arrogance. But this is why I like Joseph. It doesn't end there. There's good news. Joseph's, Joseph, is this, Joseph is this person that we see experience this transformation from this common struggle of, of, of entitlement to a story of a man who gives hope past hope past entitlement. And it all starts with a cistern. Cistern is this hole in the ground, basically, that stores water. A lot of them are just dried up. And here's what happens with Joseph. His brothers see him coming and they say, we are sick and tired of this guy. We're sick and tired of his entitlement. We're sick and tired of him being the favorite. And they throw him in a cistern. And it was the best thing that ever happened to Joseph. Because in between the cistern and his journey to Egypt as a slave, when they, when they pulled him out and when he was on his way to Egypt, something happened. He was radically, he was radically transformed. He is radically transformed. And whatever entitlement that, that Joseph felt prior to being thrown in the cistern and prior to his journey to Egypt, was stripped away by the time he gets to Potiphar's house. And he went into the cistern, as, and, and what reason why it happened this way is because it was a crushing blow to his ego. He was humbled, and blindness and arrogance went out the door. And in, instead of being this arrogant, prideful, entitled young man, he came out of there, and he was a lowly, broken slave. And as we examine the life of, of Joseph, I, I think there were other moments in his life that, that broke him down. That if he was ever feeling any type of entitlement, that he went through these things and it broke him down again. It was a, what I call a cistern moment in his life. I, I think... When he's in Potiphar's house, and, and Miss Potiphar, as we're going to call her today, we usually say Potiphar's wife, but she was Miss Potiphar. When Miss Potiphar accused Joseph of inappropriate actions, and all of a sudden he was thrown in the king's jail, I think there was another moment, another cistern moment, another broken moment for him. And after he, after he interpreted the cupbearer's dream and said, I want to let you know, 
before three days are out, you're going to be lifted back up again. You're going to be right at the right hand of Pharaoh. I want you to remember me. And here's what the cupbearer did. He forgot Joseph. And for two more years, for two more years, he was a slave. For two more years, he was a slave in the king's jail. And I think at those moments and times, he had that broken experience again. You see, it's so important for us also to experience what I would call is this. It's important for us to have a cistern and journey and slavery type of brokenness. Let me say this again. It's important for us, and even I say essential for us, to have a cistern experience. Because there is a beauty to brokenness. There is a beauty to brokenness, and, and, and here's why, because I want to let you know, entitlement always leads to disappointment. Let me repeat that again. Entitlement always leads to disappointment. You will always be disappointed if you feel entitled. You always will. And you'll feel empty inside, and there may be angerness and bitterness, and here's the last thing I'm going to say about entitlement. It never, ever pays off. It never pays off. So, when our hearts say, you owe me, you owe me, I want us to think about Jesus Christ, who had the right, who had the right to say, you owe me. But he gave up that right and divested himself of all deity and became humble even to the point of dying on a cruel cross for us. And when we, when we in our hearts start going, you owe me, then we need to think and we need to think about Jesus and where he traveled, how far he traveled, and how much entitlement he gave up. And we lift him up as our example. And we desire that every part of our being be just like him. And when we say, you better do things my way. You better do things my way. We need to embrace the moments when things don't go our way. And we need to embrace the moments when we have broken dreams and broken expectations. And I know that sounds counterintuitive. I know that sounds counterintuitive. But we need to embrace the moments in our times when our dreams and our expectations are not met. And the reason we need to embrace those moments is because at that moment in time when our expectations are not met and our dreams are broken, that we could lo look to Jesus and trust in Him more. Amen? We could trust in Him more. And when, when our heart says, you know, I'm smarter than you and better than you, we embrace the moments and times in our lives where our ego is crushed. Where our ego is crushed. 
And when the moment we realize that, man, honestly, there's a whole lot more people out there who are smarter and better and could do better work than I could do. And when we sort of grab hold of that, that's a good thing. And then we begin to realize this. This one huge truth is, have you ever heard this phrase? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You ever heard that phrase? The ground the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There is no better and there is no smarter at the foot of the cross. And when we say in our hearts, I have more power than you, we embrace the moments when our power does not carry the day. When we try and go in and we try and fix and we try and move and we try and shake. We try and do all these things. And with all of our power, we're working as hard as we can. And all of a sudden, we look up and it's just not enough. We embrace that day. Because it's at that day we understand that the power is in God. The power is in Jesus. The power is in the cross. And the power is in the gospel. And not us. And we embrace that day. We embrace the moments when health fails, when tragedy strikes, when trials besiege us because we know it strips us of the scourge of entitlement. And it makes us rely upon the power of God rather than ourselves. And, and I wish, I, mean, I got to tell you, I wish... It was just a one-time-and-all-time type of event. But I don't know about you. In my life, it goes something like this. God takes me, and he leads me to the point, and he, and he starts to see in my life this, this toxic spirit of entitlement. And then he breaks me down. Okay? And then he'll lead me a little bit farther along, and all of a sudden, inside of me, There'll be this toxic spirit of entitlement again. And God will go, Bill, I'm just telling you right now, stop it. And he breaks me down again. And I think that's what's happened. Listen, we don't know. We don't know if that happened to Joseph. I just got a sense that it did, right? With all he went through. So here's the thing. So today, here's what we do. We embrace Today, we say thanks for every moment that God brings in our lives that strips away the insidious nature of entitlement. So as we examine the life of Joseph, I want to make a twist here. Follow me here just a second. As we examine the life of Joseph and, and his movement from this entitled boy thrown into this empty cistern to this humble, godly man, second in command of Egypt, there's some markers or there's some road signs about this that I think we could mark. There's some ways we could identify in the life of Joseph that said this. I think he got it. I think he's moved past entitlement. In fact, I believe that Joseph has a life beyond entitlement. And so here's the question. What markers, what road signs were there in Joseph's life that allows us to see that he has made it past entitlement. The first one is this. A life beyond entitlement is knowing that we are in the constant 
presence of God. I referred to this earlier. This is an anchor in Joseph's life. When Miss Potiphar, again, was coming on to, to Joseph, do you remember what he said? It's a real important sentence in the Bible. It's a real important sentence in the Bible. It wasn't, hey, we can't do this because Mr. Potiphar will find out. It wasn't any sentence like that. Here's a sentence, if you don't remember. It goes something like this. He said, how then can I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? God. There was a presence there. And any time that he would, he would interpret a dream, any time he would interpret any type of dream, it was always him giving glory and honor to God. Hey, I'm not interpreting your dreams. Who's interpreting the dreams? God's interpreting the dreams. And when I'm in the presence of God, it strips away any arrogance that I have and that we should have. Uh, let me say this. How in the world can we be arrogant in the presence of God? How in the world can we be arrogant in the presence of God? How in the world can we have a sense of personal entitlement in the presence of God? We want to live a life beyond entitlement, which means that we believe and anchor ourselves in the constant presence of God. It means this, wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we think, whatever happens in our lives, God is there with us. He is there with us. It's the spirit that is found in Psalm 139, 7 through 10. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, then you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, and if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your hand will hold me fast. And that's the first marker, is God's Jacob's understanding of the presence of God. Number two, the second marker is this. A life beyond entitlement means this. Whatever happens, God has a purpose for our lives. Whatever happens, God has a purpose for our lives. I want you to grab your Bibles. We're going to look at three verses. Three verses, Psalm chapter 45. At least on three occasions, Joseph is going to make some of the most unbelievable, outstanding statements about God's purpose in his life. Look at Psalm, I mean Genesis chapter 45 and verse 7. He says this, but God, not the brothers, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve you a remnant on the earth to save your lives by great deliverance. Now look at Genesis chapter 45 and verse 9. Now hurry, Back to my father, it's after he revealed himself. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is your son Joseph says, now notice this, God made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down now, don't delay. And then finally, look at Genesis chapter 50 in one of the most incredible verses in the Bible. One of the most incredible verses in the Bible. This is after Jacob has died. And all the brothers are starting to worry, going something like this. Hey, man, dad's dead. <laughs> dad's dead. And since dad's dead, I think Joseph is going to extract, extract his revenge. But notice what he says in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. 
Listen to this incredible verse in the Bible. You intended to harm me, and they did, didn't they? They did, didn't they? You intended to harm me. Watch this. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving as many lives. Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. And for 13 years, he endured slavery and servitude. For two of the 13 years, he waited in hopeful anticipation to be from the uh, chief cupbearer and would remember his plight and rescue him. But none of that happened. And yet, when he came to be the second in command of Egypt, when he came to be the second command of Egypt, here's what we know. Here's what we need to be aware of. He understood God had a purpose for him. And whatever bitterness and whatever questioning that Joseph could have had in this experience is gone. And the scales of blindness of entitlement and the scales of blindness that say, God, you just don't have a purpose in my life, have dropped off. And he understands and he clearly sees God's purpose for his life. I, I, I'm not here to tell you today that... There will not be moments and times when trials come and, and heartache comes and, and life just sort of takes, I mean, you just sort of lose it there. That you're not going to have these moments and times where you wonder and you doubt and you're trying to figure this out. And, and, and you're questioning and, and that's okay because I think Joseph did that too. Even though it's not recorded, I just got to believe it did. But here's what the good news is for us, is this, whatever comes, good and bad, good and bad, we need to remember this, is this, it's teaching us, it's stripping away all the toxic stuff that comes from entitlement. And it is, it is vanquishing that stuff in our lives, and, and whatever, it's good or bad, here's what happens at the end of this. We know God's presence and we know God's purpose in our lives. So today, here's what I want you to know. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for you. It is not a life of entitlement. You will never win with entitlement. Ever. And it's not that. That's not God's plan for you. That's not God's plan for you is entitlement. But let me tell you what God's plan for you is. Is this blessing and assurance of His presence and His purpose in His life. In conclusion, just let me just say this. Entitlement didn't work. It just doesn't work. And it won't work for Joseph. It didn't work for Joseph. It won't work for us. It's going to leave us empty. It's going to leave us disappointed. It's going to leave us bitter. But I want you to know God has a better plan for us. A life beyond entitlement where we enjoy an assurance of God's purpose and also His presence. Today, here's the invitation I want to extend in one other way. I want to extend the invitation to empty yourself of all entitlement. And if you've not been baptized into Jesus Christ, you do that today. You strip away all the entitlement and you get baptized into Jesus and you become his servant, you become his slave, 
and strip away any entitlement that you could do salvation on your own. Also, if you're watching from home, I want to let you know that we're here. Uh, we're here in presence, but we're also here. And if you need help with this, if you need help with entitlement, or you have questions about becoming a Christian, I want to let you know that we're here today. And if we could help you in any way, please come while we stand and as we sing.